You are listening to the San Antonio Zen Center Dharma Talks. The San Antonio Zen Center is supported solely by donation, so that everyone can participate in our offerings and programs, regardless of income. If you are able, please consider making a donation to SAZC through the donation button on our site, sanantoniozen.org, or by visiting paypal.me slash sanantoniozen. Thank you for your practice and enjoy the talk. Thank you for being here. I really appreciate the opportunity. Uh, so uh, if all goes as planned, um, today is uh, the day of my Dharma entrustment as a lay teacher. Uh, in the lineage of Shunryu Suzuki through Colin. And I'll get a piece of paper that has a line on it that goes back uh, through, actually, actually goes all the way uh, back to Buddha, which I find just amazing. And uh, there's a little gap in it, actually. <laughs> Nobody likes to talk about it, except that Colin actually mentioned it last week. Um, but um, the line is still unbroken. And uh, there's a lot of question about what it means to be a lay teacher, uh, even in my own mind. So I've been thinking about uh, what I wanted to say today and I uh, sort of what angle I wanted to come from. And I decided to come from both angles. So <laughs> uh, I decided to try to talk about uh, where temple life and householder life meet and inform each other. Um, because that's kind of like the question, isn't it? Um, so really, there's just one situation. And, uh, and a thing that I heard Colin say a while back, in a, in a different context, but I find it, I find the way that it fits for me here is that reality is the same on both sides of the door. So I'd like to talk about how I understand uh, my expression of the Lotus Sutra in my day job, which is not religious. And I, I don't even wanna say that I think of this in a religious context because it's bigger than that. Uh, so um, it's, it's, I'm gonna talk about how the Lotus Sutra is, is like uh, diet education. So I think at least a couple of people uh, have been in the group where we've been reading the Lotus Sutra on Wednesday nights and we're about a quarter of the way through, I think. And it's already just mind boggling. <laughs> if you've heard anything about the Lotus Sutra, it's that it's very difficult. Um, and uh, for centuries, actually there's been sort of a recurring fad of the Zen masters uh, giving a treatise on the Lotus Sutra, uh, sort of as the culmination of their teaching career. And I think that's partly because it's so difficult to understand that people don't typically, uh, you know, certainly don't talk about the whole thing until uh, late in their 
studies. Um, but it's also Buddha's last sermon. And I think that uh, is why it echoes for, for so many teachers. And uh, it is absolute organized chaos. It's just it's so much listing. There are these, it's just the same list over and over too. Um, and uh, it's weird and flowery and uh, the lists are, you know, it's, so there's a great assembly, Buddha's there to speak and there's this great assembly of uh, literally all beings and they it lists all of them. <laughs> um, and it's not just people, I mean, it's, you know, it's lay people and priests and arhats and bodhisattvas, but there are also these sort of supernatural or otherworldly beings. And there's a, there's a snake princess. Uh, and uh, they talk about how many thousands there are and how many eons it took for them all to become enlightened. And it's repetitive. It's a, uh, was transmitted orally for a long time. So there's a lot of repetition so that people can memorize it, which is astounding to me. And uh, it talks about uh, heavenly sounds filling the air and flowers falling and the list of types of flowers that are falling on everybody. And um, this uh, talking stupa <laughs> rises it's miles long. Uh, it's just crazy. It's madness. And um, I've, I've heard many people say uh, that. In fact, I don't think I've ever heard anybody say that they picked it up and tried to read it by themselves and, and did so. Uh, I've, I've often, maybe you could do it with a group, kind of the way we're doing it. But just sitting at home and opening it uh, doesn't sound like it goes very well <laughs> the first time. And people often put it away for years. And uh, if you ever look at it, you'll see why. So it's really esoteric and it's also really challenging. There's something in it to annoy uh, pretty much everybody. Um, for instance, it talks about how if you don't practice this, uh, beings who don't practice this are gonna be in the hell realms. And that's a very challenging idea for a lot of people. And um, then, although it's not the primary voice, uh, some of the voices in it, don't seem particularly interested in whether women are included in the universe. They just sort of don't mention them. <laughs> um, and uh, if they do mention them, it's it's uh, negative. I would I would say that's my perception of it. So why on earth are we reading this thing? And why am I talking about it? Uh, you know, there's there's no frame of reference for most of us for, for the way the sutra is structured and the things it's talking about. Um, I mean, you know, it doesn't seem like there are flowers falling from the sky lately, does it? Uh, so the, as I mentioned, the, the Lotus Sutra is very long and it has a lot of themes and I'm not going to cover all of them. I'm going to focus on uh, one that's closer to the beginning, which is skillful means um, and uh, later on in the sutra, it comes back to that with um, this emphasis on accepting the responsibility of, of teaching the ultimate nature of reality. Um, so early on, there's a parable of the burning house, which many of us will have heard, but just to summarize it, uh, there's a man with uh, many children in his house and he realizes that his house is on fire 
and he needs to get his children out. So he tells them and they just sort of don't listen. They're doing their thing, running around, playing, and they don't really listen to him. So he thinks about what he's gonna do to get them out. And he thinks, well, you know, I could sort of just like throw them, I think what they say in the sutra is a table, or you could carry them out in a big vessel, like a basket or something. I always think of it as a wheelbarrow. You could just sort of chuck them in a wheelbarrow and, and wheel them out. Um, but he thinks, well, that, you know, the passageway is narrow and they might get stuck. I might accidentally spill some out, lose a few kids. So he decides to uh, tell them that there are these uh, toys outside. There's a special, there's one for you. There's a goat cart for you and there's a deer cart for you. And uh, they all run out very excited. And when they get out there, there's a big, not, it's not all the little carts actually. It's one big cart and it's elaborately decorated. Um, it's covered in jewels and flowers and the children are, um, even though it's not what they expected, they're happy because it's, it's so much more beautiful. And so um, the point of this parable or one of them is that um, when, if you're working with someone or with yourself, it is important to tailor the message that you're trying to offer to the receiver. So um, although it's in the story, I, the part that I haven't really heard too much in lectures about it is that the father must have known he must have been listening to the children express themselves because he knew to say to this one, there's a goat cart for you, there's a deer cart for you. So there must have been this process earlier where the children were expressing their true selves and the father was listening. And that's them teaching him who they are. So, um, Last, was that last year? Time is just so strange these days. Yes, last year um, I participated in a three week study of the Lotus Sutra with uh, Tension Rev Anderson. And one of the things I heard him say was that the Lotus Sutra is about teaching and being taught. And I, I really like that way of uh, thinking about it. So in my day job, uh, mostly what I do is provide people with diet education that's appropriate to medical conditions. A lot of times it's, I do healthy diet education, but a lot of it is for specific conditions. So um, many of the people, by the time they get to me, they're afraid. And uh, they're afraid that I'm gonna give them this really difficult text that they're not gonna understand, isn't gonna seem relevant to them. And, uh, that if they can't do it, they're gonna suffer. And in fact, a lot of times they've, they've heard that from their doctor, that I'm gonna send you to the dietitian and you have to listen to what they tell you or you're gonna be in hell, you're gonna suffer. And um, so I'm really, I'm actually really haunted by the number of referrals that we get where we can never get the person to call us back to make the appointment. Um, and they aren't ready to open the door, right? Um, and 
that's painful to me to know how many times that happens. But the ones who manage to show up to their credit, um, you know, my job is to uh, understand what they need from me. And they, they think, they think that uh, they're coming there so I can teach them. And it's, you know, there's, that's not totally untrue, right? I have special training in, in what they need to do. Um, but it's just as true that I need them to teach me about what their life is like and how they see things because otherwise we are all gonna burn down in the house. Nothing is gonna get done. So um, it's a process and usually their assumption is that um, they need a list of foods that they can have and a list that they can't have. And they need a meal plan that tells them exactly when to eat what. And if somebody really wants that, I'm gonna give it to them. I'll, I'll give somebody what they think they need, but that's me teaching them, which is actually pretty limited. So uh, although I will give them what they're asking for, if I, if I just do this top-down thing, that's like the father throwing people in the wheelbarrow and carrying them out of the house. It, it's better if I can help them see how to get out themselves. So I just sort of introduced the idea that there is a template that they could use where um, nothing is excluded. Everything fits their own foods, their own familiar foods can be put into the template. And uh, it's, a, you know, designed, the template that I give them is designed to be wholesome for them. It might have more vegetables than they're used to and often less carbohydrates. Um, but uh, for many people, this is a complete and total new idea that they just have to learn one thing. And they are so often joyous. I, I frequently have somebody tell me, I was so worried about today and I just feel so much better. And that's great. Um, but I always try to say to, um, you know, uh, once you try to implement this, you might find that you have some difficulties and that's normal, that's okay. And this is a process. So we're gonna make a follow-up. And when you come for the follow-up and you feel like you got lost and you didn't know what to do, that's okay. That's part of the conversation. You come back anyway, it's my job to help you. Um, but still many times people will cancel their second appointment. And if they do come, uh, they say, well, you know, I tried to do this, but it turned out to be really hard. Uh, and usually their explanation for that is that, um, they have this conditioning that there are all these bad things that they can't have. And it's very hard to understand that that is untrue. So their conditioning is still telling them, even though we covered it last time, even though I listed some things, um, they still come back and say, well, you know, you gave me this template, but um, my foods don't fit in it because they're bad. And, the foods, the good foods that I should be having, I have a hard time eating. Either I don't like them, I can't afford them, I don't know how to cook them. So we talk again, you know, we go through the list again. Uh, and I say, 
this is the part that reminds me of the precepts. It is true that there are foods that are more wholesome for you than other foods. And it is true that there are some foods that if we get too stuck on them, if you are holding on to them too much and needing them to be exactly the way they've always been and exactly the amounts you've always had them, um, it, it's gonna cause some problems for you. Your blood sugar might go up, your cholesterol. And so we're, we go over it again and sort of talk about how to make your foods fit in the template. So your familiar foods, let's talk about what the actual recipes are and maybe there's some things we can do to change your foods just a little bit little bit less fat, we're gonna add less sugar, we're gonna limit the portion or increase the portion so that your familiar foods, it's more obvious to you how they fit into the template. And, um, you know, I don't actually feel any need to list all of the things, but again, with the third <laughs> visit, most of the time we're going through the list again. Um, and it's, it's like, uh, they're, they're just so unsure. And so it'll, we'll go through the template again and they've kind of a lot of times started to understand and they've made some changes, but they still start going through the list again. Can I have potatoes? What about Triscuits? Can I have Triscuits? I like goldfish. Those are bad, right? Can I have Gatorade? We go through every single carb or, you know, again. And that is part of my job. And that time what we're doing is making the template fit their foods. So they're understanding the list of big long things that is in the template, that everything is included. There's nothing left out. But it's really hard for them to understand that. And in order for me to sort of focus so that I don't have to list every food in the entire world, it really, I need them to tell me what their life is like. I need to know whether or not they know how to cook, I need to know what their finances are like, what foods they like, who else they are cooking for, um, and what their obstacles have been. Like, tell me what you've tried that worked or didn't work. And if I can understand that, you know, we might kind of get somewhere. And one of the things that I found is so helpful for a lot of people is if I express appreciation for a food that they think of as bad, so if I say, you know, I don't know about you, but I really love pizza. So um, here's a way that you could include pizza and here's, you know, how much you might have and what you might put on it. And I think it helps because they think that I'm perfect. They have this idea that I never eat added sugar and I never, you know, eat too much pizza or I always have enough vegetables every day. And, you know, when I run into friends in the grocery store, sometimes they will actually stand in front of their cart so that I can't see it because they're, they're it's, it's hard, you know, they don't want me to see it because they're afraid. And so I love it when I run into somebody and I can see them sort of shuffling sideways to stand in front of their cart. And I'm like, did you see the new Oreos that they have? They've got double stuff. Um, so, you know, that's the, it has to be in the middle. It has to be in the middle or we get overwhelmed. And so, um, what I find really fascinating about this is that the process is, um, I'm giving them this, um, sort of impossibly large context. It's, 
it includes everything. And by doing that, I make it more manageable. And I find that so interesting that if, you know, if we come at it from a limited view, it does not work. So in some way, I am talking about limits. It would be better for you if you don't just eat candy all day. That will hurt you. But candy is included. It's still in there until you can kind of let it go. Um, and maybe that will never happen. Uh, no judgment. I still eat candy. Um, and, and so what's happening here is that they're being changed by the template that I gave them, but they're also changing it. And as I participate in that process, I'm changing their template and they're changing my way of understanding. It's working together. So it's that place where it meets and that is always happening. So on the one hand, there are myriad ways of making a diabetic plate, uh, but on the other hand, there's one plate. And so in the same way, although the Lotus Sutra has a ludicrous amount of detail, like a painful, infuriating amount of detail, um, everything in it is just one side of the jewel. And this is absolutely relevant to your daily life. So the, the myriad things are not separate from the universe. And the universe is not more fundamental than the myriad things. It's where they turn each other that we arrive. Um, so this is true even if you don't think you're teaching. And that's kind of, a, I know it sounds like I've been talking about teaching and I have, but um, pretty sure it's Dogen who said, that to teach Zen is to have grandmother mind, um, where everything that you do is offering Buddha's wisdom. So uh, you might just be, um, you know, I think the example in the text that I'm thinking of is peeling a, a lychee nut for your grandchild. Um, but in that little thing that you're doing is the entirety of the most revered scripture. So um, you're already the culmination of the universe from a moment ago and the predecessor for the universe a moment from now. And that's the always arri arriving. Um, and so working with your likes and don't likes with what you think is delusion or awakening. Um, for example, maybe you don't like vegetables and you do like macaroni and cheese. So working with that, with curiosity and compassion is, is studying the Lotus Sutra. There is nothing else to the Lotus Sutra. It's your life and everything is included. 
That's all I want to say today.